one thing that we had decided right at the outset was that whatever may be our revenue, 10% of that revenue will always go towards feeding the poor. Business is not about emotions. Business is essentially defined by two very simple things, top line and bottom line. And there you need to set aside your emotions and focus on it from the perspective of business. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Frontrunner Podcast. I'm Anish Raman. My guest today is Ajit Nair, the co-founder and CMO of Camcom.ai, which is an AI platform for automotive defect and damage assessment built on a computer vision stack. Ajit is a hospitality and travel technology veteran with 25 years of international experience. He has provided strategy advisory and technology consulting services to industry giants like Marriott, Burger King, McDonald's, and King's Tower, just to name a few. He has been a featured speaker at several conferences and has published papers in leading academic journals and industry magazines and currently serves on the technology advisory board of the hotel school at the University of Delaware. So I'd like to welcome the man who is a part-time psychologist, also a history and politics junkie with a passion for travel off the normal road. Ajit, thanks for taking out time of your day and making this happen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Anuj. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm flattered to be on the show, but, uh, you know, I, I, though I claim to be a technology veteran, I should tell you, I'm still trying to figure out whether Java is good coffee or whether it's technology. So. <laughs> Pursuit continues. <laughs> it's a pleasure <laughs> having you. So yeah. my first question is, like, when you say you have a passion to travel off the normal road, is it like literal, metaphorical or philosophical? Uh, literal, actually. Uh, though at the same time, I should say at some level it is philosophical and uh, but this is not at all metaphorical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I am an avid off-road buff, uh, but by off-roading, I, uh, I mean, uh, I'm a jeeper. Uh, so uh, typically what we do is uh, when we go on our rides, if we see that uh, there's a, a, a national highway, we get onto a state highway. If there's a state highway, we get onto a district road. If there's a district road, we get onto the village road. If there is a no, if there's a village road, then we move to where we make our own road. So, you know that that no. it's it's essentially a discovery uh, kind of gene that I have, uh, which I share with I'm quite sure a bunch of guys out there. We like to kind of uh, understand a bit more uh, rather than just you know, for example, you drive through Humpy. Well, I mean, is Humpy just what you are seeing on both sides of the road, or is there something beyond? what you see on both sides of the road, something inside which you actually haven't seen. Uh, so I, I, I prefer to explore that. Uh, for, and, and that is what I meant literally. Uh, at a philosophical level, uh, I, I am off the beaten road, uh, largely because of the fact that I've had experiences in life which tell me that um, in many ways, I shouldn't take myself seriously at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, the, that off the beaten uh, track uh, essentially led me to Rajneesh at one point. Uh, it uh, subsequent to that, it gave me a healthy loathing for everything that uh, uh, essentially was materialistic. But on the other hand, I over a period of time realized that uh, I have a healthy loathing now for self-proclaimed God men and God women. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 in many ways, there is a bundle of contradictions within me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that is what I mean by being off the off the beaten track. So that's very interesting to me because you said like you have a passion for discovering new things. There's curiosity. There's always exploration in the process. So mm -hmm. take me back to the channel. Where did this come from? Like, let's say we are college buddies and we're mm -hmm. not really friends, but we're acquaintances. And mm -hmm. I'm, I, I know I know you by name, but I don't know you very well. I'm watching you mm -hmm. from far. How was sure. Ajit as an individual? What was your personality like back in this college days? 
Well, surprise, surprise. I actually represented uh, Kerala in hockey. I uh, we used to play hockey for oh. Kerala State. Uh, but, uh, you know, today, if you look at me, I'm horizontally challenged. Most people refuse to believe me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, <laughs> A lot of people uh, absolutely refuse to believe me, but yes, at one point in time, I did play hockey. Um, I was not exactly, uh, you know, uh, setting the records on fire. I was just a very average student in school. My dad uh, was an engineer. Uh, my mother uh, is a homemaker, a very uh, normal, average middle class livelihood, uh, living in a town called Cortium in Kerala. Uh, spent better part of my childhood, my school and college days there. Uh, was very actively involved in student politics and uh, I used to be a card-carrying member of the Communist Party of India. Um, so from there, uh, uh, you know, at some point, I guess, uh, uh, the, the re uh, dawn of realization, so to speak, I suddenly realized that uh, all of this is nonsensical and I didn't want to waste my time, you know, being wedded to an ideology which I didn't particularly believe in. At that point in time, uh, my dad look, took one look at my 10 standard marks card and said, you'll never become an engineer because I was hopeless at math. The, and in those days, there really weren't too many options available uh, in as far as career choices were concerned. You could either be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, a professor, um, hotel management was an option. And uh, the only entrance exam that I managed to clear was hotel management. <laughs> so, though, though initially, I always wanted to be an army officer, but uh, thanks to my uh, eyesight, uh, that is something that I never cleared uh, in as far as the medicals were concerned, uh, though I did clear the NDA exam, uh, but I couldn't get through the medical. The other uh, option or the other passion that I had was history. I wanted to be an archaeologist, but there were no programs in uh, Kerala at that point in time that would uh, you know, make you suitable to become an archaeologist. So the only option I had was to go with whatever I got uh, in as far as my entrance uh, uh, foray was concerned, and I got into hotel management. I landed up in Bangalore to do my hotel management. Actually, never worked in a hotel, surprisingly. Um, I uh, joined as a management trainee immediately after hotel school in sales at, with the Leela Kapitsky in Mumbai. And that was a time that a bunch of guys had uh, come in from a company called Fidelio, based off uh, Germany, Munich, to implement hotel solutions there. They'll give you a parallel. Uh, Fidelio could be called the SAP of the hospitality and leisure industry, which essentially encompasses hotels, restaurants, and cruise lines. So being the uh, management trainee and the youngest kid on the block, the more experienced sales managers, for some reason, thought this is some kind of a data entry job. And they were quite happy to let me have a go at it. And what I did was I spent a significant amount of time with the people who had come down to install the software. And I learned a lot. And as they were returning, they essentially made me an offer, uh, as I said in The Godfather, that I could not refuse. They said, would you like a job <laughs> with us? And I said, yes, absolutely. And I moved to Dubai with them to uh, you know, implement the software there in the Middle East, North Africa region and to train people on how to use it. That's, so that was my first international foray. I spent about, I think, a couple of years, uh, 90, end of 95 through to middle of 97 uh, in the Middle East and North Africa region. So I did primarily in those days, uh, you know, installing the software used to take time. And uh, of course, you were also confident in the hardware that had to be used. You had to train people on how to use it and so on and so forth. So typically the cycle was about 21 days to 28 days depending on the size of the hotel that the solution was being implemented at and i was jumping from one country to the other by gcc i mean gulf cooperation council of countries which is uh, saudi arabia oman kuwait uh, Qatar, uh, ue uh, and bahrain uh, so i traveled across all these countries i also traveled to um, africa uh, largely in those days north africa was booming libya was booming ethiopia to a certain extent was booming 
And uh, I mean, from there, I moved to Munich in Germany to join Fidelio headquarters itself. But about four or five months after I joined, Fidelio got acquired by a company called Micros, uh, based out of the US. And they wanted all of us to relocate to Naples and Florida. I relocated to Naples and Florida, but I hated the place with a passion because one, it was hot and humid. And that was something that reminded me too much of Kerala. And the average age of people there were 70 plus. Uh, because Naples was what they call uh, the winter birds paradise, meaning all the uh, uh, baby boomers who had by them retired used to come down to Naples uh, during the winters as, uh, to be in a more warm locale. So during uh, off season, the, during the time when we uh, were there, uh, the population was only 45,000. Uh, but during season, the population used to uh, go up to uh, close to about half a million. Um, uh, but I just hated the place and I, I was desperately looking to see if I could move somewhere else. And that is when Michael Fidelio said they were opening up regional offices so across the United States. So it's, it's been kind of a long exploratory journey for you. And there are lots of interesting bits in that introduction that we will touch upon as we talk further, Ajit. But the first mm -hmm. question I have after listening to your story is, what was your transition like working for these big corporations and then starting Camcom in 2017 with your partners? How did it feel to go entrepreneurial after working in corporate for so long? Well, I, I did have an entrepreneurial stint uh, before this. I think I alluded to that uh, during the introduction where I said uh, uh, the complementary skills that I and Umesh bring to the table. Uh, one is the fact that he had actually successfully exited his startup before the dot-com bust. And I lost a shirt off my back during the dot-com bust. So then I went back to corporate life again. Uh, Umesh came into corporate life uh, largely because of the fact that he had never worked in a corporate before. And he wanted to get that uh, experience under his belt because he had been an entrepreneur more or less uh, two years after he left college. The basic difference, I guess, uh, in, in, in terms of uh, working for uh, a large corporation and then trying to turn entrepreneur is, well, you're expected to don multiple hats during that whole journey. And you essentially, what you took for granted in terms of certain support that you would get while working in a corporate does not exist when you're an entrepreneur. So first and foremost, uh, you know, the basic stuff that you uh, expect any business to have, which is an accounting and finance function, an HR function, uh, basic administration and facilities function, none of these exist when you're essentially trying to set up, right? And you are suddenly become a master at things that you honestly never thought you would be doing in your lifetime. So, uh, you know, everything from uh, uh, taking the garbage out <laughs> on a daily basis to essentially learning how to do your uh, accounting on an Excel spreadsheet. You know, all of these things are, are, are learning curves that, that you typically tend to surmount over a period of time uh, through the whole entrepreneurial journey. Um, you know, any, any, any person who tells you that an entrepreneur journey is uh, all, uh, you know, roses is 100% is lying because what most people see is the success at the end of it. But most people forget that there are, you know, for every success, there are probably 100 or 1,000 or even more failures. And people who essentially reach the, the, the pinnacle of success, um, you know, and, and of, of course, the definition of the pinnacle of success differs from business to business, person to person. You know, a, a person who decided that, uh, you know, I, I'm very happy essentially running a $10 million company is uh, the, the aspirational levels are very different for a person, let's say, aspiring to become a unicorn. Um, and so uh, primarily the thing is that you learn a lot, you unlearn a lot, and then subsequently relearn. In, in many ways, that's an analogy that I use with machine learning as well, because machines learn like humans from zero to 75, 80%. It's the, 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 the learning is meteoric. And then you hit an asymptotic curve. 
and then every incremental piece is essentially unlearning, relearning, and relearning with nuance. And that is essentially, in many ways, what most entrepreneurs do as well, Anuj. That's super interesting. When you said, uh, when uh, when you were on your journey, like you said, you were al- always entrepreneurial. You had that spirit, and Umesh already exited his startup. But when you started wearing those multiple hats in your own startup, like were there some areas that you particularly struggled with, and uh, how did you overcome that? Because a lot of people listening to this are already in those shoes, like first-time founders or maybe business owners who are doing multiple things in their business. So mm-hmm. how did you, in, in that time, uh, was there something you struggled with particularly, and how did you overcome that struggle? Was it through support or something else? Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, that uh, I'm not a technologist. I, uh, I don't know to write a single line of code, and for me, Java means good coffee. So that, that, that was something that I, had, I think I had stated earlier. So what I do understand is convergence, and I think the single most important thing in an entrepreneurial journey is finding the right mix in your team. The complementarity of skills is essentially going to define in many ways the success or failure of an organization. So I told you this, Umesh was a successful entrepreneur. I was a failure. But the thing is, when you put both of these together, you understand what went wrong and what went right. And then you essentially bring things together, right? Or I'm essentially the sales guy. So I understand convergence. I understand how to bring things together. Umesh is a details-oriented person. So his typical way of approaching a problem, largely because of the fact that by vocation is a mechanical engineer. Okay, is there a problem? Where is a screwdriver? You know, for me, okay, is there a problem? How do I essentially look at the larger macro picture and figure out how to take care of the problem? I, I'm not a detailed details guy. Obviously, those are that, that was a complementary skill I and Umesh brought to the table. Then we realized that there was something missing there. And that missing piece was what Mahesh brought to the table, where he essentially brought in the strategy, the focus, and of course, the funding element of it. Because having worked in large corporates and having been entrepreneurs uh, you know, before the term uh, VC funding and uh, other things existed, we were at sea. I mean, we had absolutely no idea as to how to go about and raise funding. And you know, uh, because of what you read in the press, most of us seem to think that, oh, it's very easy. You go there, you make a two-minute pitch, and somebody gives you the money. Then we suddenly realize that is not the case. And that is where Mahesh brought in his strengths and skills as a serial entrepreneur to essentially make sure that we had the necessary focus in terms of what we are doing, create the strategy around that focus, and then subsequently go and meet the right people who invest in these kind of ventures. For example, Triton, the, the, the VC that invested in us, is a boutique B2B enterprise SaaS focused investment company. So, and oh. that is very important. So that is where I, I, I feel in, in, in an entrepreneurial journey, the most important thing are the people that essentially form the partnership and each one bringing one skill uh, or multiple skills, which essentially complement each other. So I'm sure you, you must have seen a lot of startup founders. I'm sure you meet a lot of people, first time founders. You see people making this kind of mistakes, like they're 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 bringing people who are not actually complementary to each other's strength, and they're just mostly single-minded against, and that kind of works against each other. Or is it like mostly people figure this stuff out naturally? Or is there any common mistake you've seen first-time founders make when it comes to partnerships or things of that nature? See, invariably, and this is something that my wife tells me all the time, <laughs> is when you decide to go on an, uh, on, a, on an entrepreneurial journey, they in, invariably you end up reaching out to people you know, right, your closest friends. Unfortunately, that is essentially emotion, uh, overriding ration, right? The rationale has to exist. So in, in, in many ways, I think it's very, very important that you, even if it's your closest friends, you understand that business is not about emotions. Business is essentially defined by two very simple things, top line and bottom line. 
And there you need to set aside your emotions and focus on it from the perspective of business. And as I say in business, no work gets done without paperwork. And paperwork is extremely important. That is also the reason why, you know, despite the fact that Umesh is, is a person, you know, probably outside of my father and a couple of others who I say, I love and respect. But, you know, I, I believe him without doubt. He does the same with me. And I'm, I'm sure the same thing is applicable in the case of Mahesh as well. But we have a co-founders agreement in place because that paperwork is also important where people outline what is it that they are responsible for and what they will deliver. Super interesting. You mentioned Umesh as being one of the most influential people in your life. Is there any particular, obviously Mahesh is another one of your partners. Is there anything you've learned working with them or any particular skill or any particular kind of mindset that they bring to the table and kind of, kind of the way they approach business in a way uh, so is there anything you've kind of learned over the years i'm sure there must be something which has uh, kind of changed your own behavior towards business or mindset mm -hmm. towards a particular thing set of things sure 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 uh umesh uh, uh, because he was actually also my boss uh, when i was in wipro so one thing that i have learned is how he is able to shield his team and essentially manage such a large team i mean he uh, was heading a huge vertical and uh, you know if i'm not mistaken there were about 7000 to 8000 people working under under that vertical of which i was one as well though i was a direct report into there were multiple other people who were working there his ability to shield the steam from essentially taking unnecessary uh, stick that comes your way i mean as you can imagine in a corporate uh, there's a lot of unnecessary stick that comes your way, especially when you're doing your quarterly business reviews and stuff like that. But for him to be able to step up to the plate and essentially ensure that he shields the team was in many ways a major learning for me because that provides more than anything else. So um, I, I, I learned how important it is from the perspective of uh, a team and the ability to build a team that over a period of time is going to be nurtured to deliver. I learned that was a skill that I absolutely lacked. And as a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you that I, it's a skill that I lack even today. I'm not a very good people manager. I, I'm absolutely not a good people manager. Um, but that is something that Umesh is extremely good at. And the fact that, you know, he essentially takes onus responsibility to make sure that what has to get delivered gets delivered. That is something that I learned from him. And I, in, in many ways, I'm thankful to him for taking the stick on my behalf many a time when I, even I was working in Wipro. And even today, I would be lost, honestly, Anuj, if Umesh was not there at the back end, because that is something that I would 100% count on for him to deliver. And the same thing, in, in, what did I learn from Mahesh? I told you, Mahesh is a, a, a latecomer to the party, so to speak, because I didn't know him, uh, Umesh and I did not know him from Adam just about uh, a year and uh, four months back. But the fact that we essentially struck it off in such a way and we understood immediately the value that he brings to this overall organization and to the co cohesion and composition of this team is what in many ways I look up to him for. His single-minded determination on the ability to strategize and focus that saying, this is what we will do. This is the only thing that we will do. Yes, in many ways, you know, an entrepreneur is not meant to be a blinkered horse, but you have to be a blinkered horse many a time to essentially ensure that we do not take our leg of the accelerator. I am that way because of the fact that maybe I'm a sales guy, I kind of go all over the place. But, you know, the, the ability to bring me back to Terra Firma and tell me, listen, Ajit, you are going all over the place. That is something that I absolutely love about Mahesh. Super, super interesting. Uh, most most entrepreneurs I've seen, yeah, they, they work a lot on establishing the product market fit in, in those initial years. But as I'm hearing you talk, I think it's it's also really important to have those founders fit. The initial first two or three key players who, are, who you're working with who will build the company forward in the next 10 years i guess having that fit of personalities and working to each other's strengths and weaknesses and covering for each other up 
I think that's also very important to be a team player and having that uh, startup be successful. So I think I should mention here one more person who essentially has uh, is a part of our team. Uh, her name is Geeta. She's our director of engineering. Geeta was former senior vice president at Cybage, one of the larger IT uh, services companies based at Pune. She was a former colleague of ours from Wipro. She was the first investor in Camcom, actually. She's one of the angel wow. investors. Wow. She then subsequently has now quit Cybage and joined us as director of engineering. I mean, if there is a leap of faith, see, some of these things essentially happen, and I'm not saying that this happens uh, uh, because we essentially force over it or we essentially uh, had a strategy in place to bring these people on board. No, no, no. It happened because people, you need in an entrepreneurial journey, much like in religion, belief. <laughs> that belief system <laughs> is very important. So that's a big leap of faith again. Yeah. And that comes, I think, because they obviously, um, it obviously saw something in your team. Like you guys are already working cohesively and you all, you've all, all got your individual strength and working together as a team. So it kind of plays out and makes it easier for the other person or even a VC to believe in you guys because you're doing so well together. And obviously, years down the road, it, this will turn into something which will be successful and productive and help a lot of people. So coming coming to that again, talking along these lines, uh, were there some principles or some foundations that you as founding members decided on, like this is how we will do business and these are our values, core values that we will always follow. I know you mentioned top line and bottom line as being two of the most important things in business. Just tell a little bit about that or another business values that you follow or any particular principles that you like to build your business as you go forward. The core foundation of Camcom as a company, the way that we have defined it, is based on the platform of innovation, resilience, and agility. Meaning we need to be innovative enough to turn and change with times based on the opportunities that are presented to us. We need to be resilient to a disaster that may happen and we need to be agile to deliver on the innovation that we do. I think that is how we define the underlying fundamentals of what Camcom is as an organization. From the perspective of uh, giving back to society, I told you the, the, the final end goal of Camcom is to essentially empower you and me, or for that matter, anybody of the 8.6 billion people in this world to use their own camera, mobile phone camera, to do assessment of a product anywhere any place, any time in its life cycle, which I think is amazingly empowering to the society because you're currently dependent on a third party to do those services for you. But the end goal of the end stated goal and what we are working towards is democratization of computer vision as a technology, which can be put onto each and every human being's phone to essentially ensure that what they are being sold is not a lemon. It's in, in many ways, I, you know, I think that's probably the best way to put it in terms of what our end goal is. One thing that we had decided right at the outset was that whatever may be our revenue, 10% of that revenue will always go towards feeding the poor, by which I mean feeding people who do not have food. And that is something that we have followed over the last three years. Despite being in losses, whatever is the money that we made, 10% of that essentially went to Akshay Patra. That's a really noble goal and tiding towards helping the society, even though your profits are not making, but still allocating that 10% towards society, that's really commendable. You guys are doing an amazing job and hearing me talk about computer vision stack and making it more of like turning it into a consumer thing where people can actually see through the product. I mean, that's what you mean, right? If they are yeah. of what, be, what they are being sold instead of just ripping the packaging apart and discovering it's something else entirely, but mm -hmm. just using their phone and just looking through the package and knowing what's in there. So again, those are some interesting goals, and I hope you reach that as soon as possible. So just 
kind of um, you mentioned that you were into archaeology and you wanted to pursue archaeology in, in your uh, introduction but you didn't get the chance really but you also you are also fond of history so are there any particular history books that you have read and that may have influenced your thinking or some lessons from history that you still think about and they influence how you think about things right now uh, history any human that forgets history is bound to commit mistakes that was made in the past and honestly the whole of human history is essentially uh, mistakes being committed after mistakes being committed after mistake because you don't learn from what has happened in the past because honestly speaking if people had learned subsequent to the first world war there would have been no second world war and we honestly would not have been talking about the third world war <laughs> all you had to do is understand that there have been mistakes made if you don't learn from those mistakes and correct the course then you essentially are bound to make those mistakes again that is at the highest level are there books that have profoundly influenced my thought process without doubt i mean the bhagavad gita is something that has profoundly uh, impacted my thought process the marcus aurelius is 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 a philosopher who is profoundly influenced yeah. my thought process is there any particular field which studies like kind of taking histories have you found anyone or is there uh, maybe i don't know about it but is there any particular field which analyzes the lessons from history and kind of translates them into how we should move forward as a country or as a company have you find anybody doing that or is there any particular field which studies that unfortunately no i mean that is supposed to be something that uh, we as human beings are supposed to kind of imbibe and uh, you know kind of realize us, ourselves to that consciousness uh, but of course history you know at the end of the day is a perspective history is not necessarily rooted in reality and uh, you know and reality is normally always contested <laughs> in today's world yeah. so today people uh, there is no reality there's no truth in this world it's essentially a bunch of perspectives based on a basic understanding of what the thing is at uh, at play and then our version of the truth is we essentially take a perspective waterboard it and essentially make sure that it is telling us what we want to know as our perspective on reality so you know the the world in 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 that sense is kind of weird as it stands today i'm sure you would have seen enough and more of that in our political narrative as well in india the oh, whole right wing yeah. left wing nonsense i mean as a matter of fact i don't even know how anybody can essentially say that what i just said uh, you know uh, take a simple example right history how can history be set in stone because what you if there is a new discovery subsequent to the fact today history is, is has to constantly evolve and by constantly evolve that necessarily has to be based on truth and reality and it necessarily has to go through the scientific process of proving something now if i say today mohenjo-daro uh, was a 3000 year old civilization what happens uh, day after tomorrow that i find a new archaeological dig where i my carbon dating test says we tells me that it's 10000 years rather than contest that uh, 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 the, the the whole notion of history people essentially come back and say that is impossible i mean there is nothing impossible in this world yeah, earlier as a as a hotel management uh, person who moved into technology like i said if java for me was good coffee and continues to be good coffee when i was a hotel management student ai for me actually stood for absolutely impossible as opposed to artificial intelligence <laughs> that's true i mean yeah people people always forget i mean again as you mentioned earlier like history is only valuable when you learn from it but we don't see that happening anyway so it's kind of like a lost cause but there should be i think a particular field of study where people actually analyze history and turn it into some kind of like people still mention in these kind of kind of self help books to mention history and what the lessons they've learned from it by sort properly structural and most of the times self help books people think of them as like boo boo mainly 
but yeah there should be a particular field of study which actually analyzes history properly and which draws from those lessons to move us towards a better future but that's sure. a topic for a different day um, so another question i have in mind is like is there any particular behavior as a person coming to your personal habits and behaviors uh, ever since you took on this journey of camcom is there anything which drastically changed in your life or any particular behavior that you had to change or some new habit that you had to learn like for example waking up early just to work on these things and because entrepreneur because when you're an entrepreneur you don't have a proper sleeping schedule or anything like that so is there a new habit or new behavior you had to establish you made that switch in the past 3 or 4 years uh, i i won't say that i have made any drastic changes uh, you know i've always been an early riser i always go to sleep at 10:30 yeah so i wake up at 5 and go to sleep at 10:30 I don't think I can say that uh, my sleeping patterns have been affected. I don't particularly allow stress uh, to affect me all that very much. Um, one one good thing that happened uh, thanks to Umesh was that I gave up smoking. <laughs> uh, I used to be a smoker, uh, but uh, you know um, Umesh essentially played a large role in ensuring that I gave up smoking. Um, outside of that, from a personal habit perspective, no. Uh, learnings, yes. Uh, like, you know, like I mentioned, there are multiple things that I had to learn along uh, the journey. Uh, for which i'm uh, you know forever grateful because i suddenly realized that i do have a head for mathematics though i almost failed in mathematics at school so you know yeah these these, these are things that you pick up along the way do you think school school kind of kills creativity because even though you fail at mathematics and me myself i don't particularly I, i come from the commerce background and i'm not particularly interested in like pursuing science as a whole field but i'm fascinated by physics and learning this concept of entropy string theory I kind of find this interesting just to curb my curiosity. So do you kind of feel like uh, school kind of puts us in a box that this is a particular um like particular field you can only pursue and people don't actually people just take that as for granted and they don't uh, explore anything outside of their particular field of interest. So for example you did into like technology you went into technology as you know today. So yeah have you seen that happen a lot with people you work with or maybe people you meet along the way that they're very single minded and they only pursue the things that they've been structured by school to learn? uh i uh, i'll be honest with you i'm uh, not all that very well informed as to what the current situation is in schools uh, uh so uh, you know i can only go back to my experience of and that was way before you were born and old <laughs> but uh, if that sure. <laughs> the experience you have is more than the age i've been born for so it's like the experience you have in the tech field is more than i've been born for so yeah Kind of, let's go back so, to school days. <laughs> for me, uh, school, uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, school in my time, I thought was much harder, much stricter, uh, much more to learn. Of course, there was a lot of rot learning. Uh, there was a lot of things that you learned, which you subsequently questioned as to why you were learning it. Uh, all that is true. Uh, but on the other hand, school also, from the time that I was studying, gave me a very basic fundamental. uh 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 you know uh, uh, what do you call it a building block on which i could subsequently build my knowledge on um i'm 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 definitely grateful to all my teachers for whatever they have uh, uh, taught me uh they were they have not been able to uh, provide me with the right uh, kind of uh, directions guidance and even maybe answer questions i'm okay i mean those are things that were subsequently left to my curiosity and my ability to go and find answers which which i think is also important uh what i have noticed and this is uh, and forgive me for being for being very generalized as a uh, this observation may sound very generalized one thing that i found in the generations that came subsequent to me i turned 48 yesterday is that 
they lack curiosity. I don't know how you can lack curiosity. Because when somebody tells you something, and that too in a, in a, in a world where all, all, all your, I mean, to say you're just Google away. And all you have to do is type that word into Google. It'll give you all the information under the sun about that particular thing. But I found find people singularly non-curious. And I have never been able to understand it. I don't know if that is a problem with the, uh, the, the, the school system or is it a problem with uh, data overload? I have no idea. But this is something that is, a, I, and I'm being honest, it's a very generalized observation, but that's my observation. Actually, it's not generalized at all. I've seen this all too often, like, uh, I'm still 22, and I've seen a lot of people like younger than me. They are curious, but they're mostly single-minded towards like the subject they're studying. They only study that, and to that extent, they're curious. So, second last question before we wrap up. This question will mostly draw from your experience of working in this long career as a corporate and working on Camcom. So the question is like, is there something that you could impart to the people listening to this uh, on the worst piece of advice you'd ever received in your life, career, or any, anything in general? And the best piece of advice you'd ever received. What would those two be in either order? See, advice. I I I normally don't. I I don't particularly like the word advice because you know I, I think it's a it's an often abused word. And in many ways, advice is something that is supposed to come from a person who has a significant body of knowledge within them and who has attained a level of realization. Uh, you know, you can go and ask Gandhi for advice. But to ask Ajit Nair for advice would be foolhardy um, because I haven't, <laughs> you know, the, I, I don't think that is a way to ask it. Do I receive suggestions? Do I receive unsolicited suggestions? Uh, do I receive unsolicited tips? You know, uh, unnecessary judgment calls? Yes, every day. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, you, you live with it every day. So sure. Uh, and that is something that you, it's, it's just a part and parcel of life. We humans are subjective by, uh, by by nature, right? I mean, that's how nature essentially created us. And that subjectivity brings about with it a certain amount of God-driven, uh, <laughs> what do you would call it? Uh, uh, what most people think is their God-given right to interfere in other people's matters. So yes, uh, you know, you do get a lot of unsolicited uh, tips, uh, suggestions, etc. It's up to you uh, to finally decide whether you want to take it or not, or just leave it. I mean, you can take it from one ear, push it out through the other. You can probably internalize it. Maybe you can think about it. You can ponder about it. Maybe introspect, you know, and unfortunately, intros unfortunately introspection does not have retrospective effect. Otherwise, you know, you would all have been different people. But yeah, I mean, that is something that uh, we get every day. And I, I, I don't particularly um, like it or dislike it. I mean, that is just the way human beings are. Good tips, suggestions. Yes, again, comes from probably people that you least expect it from, people who have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, 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 you know, with, with, with the chosen line of uh, work that you are in. People make these observations not necessarily for any vested interest. It's largely altruistic motives. I get that a lot as well. And these I typically tend to take and try and learn from it. So in many ways, good advice, bad advice, you get it every time. I mean, finally, it's up to the individual to figure out what is good and what is bad. And that, again, like I said, is a matter of perspective, right? So what I may consider good may be considered bad by somebody else. Uh, I really like your take on taking advice. Uh, Warren Buffett also says that um, there was this, I was just watching this video where, where a girl asked him, like, uh, we all look up to you for advice. You are considered the finance expert and genius. Where do you go for advice? So first answer he gives off his top of his head is I look in the mirror. But then he goes on to say that if I had to ask for advice in my position, then I shouldn't be running this place. 
So it's kind of like having your own best judgment. Is that is that what you meant when you said that uh, consider where the advice is coming from? You also mentioned that the advice comes from the least expected place and from someone you least expect to get the advice from. Is there any particular example where that happened in your life and you got a really good advice from there? So let me answer that at two levels. One, there are people who make who state the obvious, right? And then expect you to essentially take that as sage counsel. You know that th those are the people that normally tends to piss you off, right? I mean, you would think that as a as a basic thinking human being, when you state the obvious, I mean, you you are actually expecting the other person to be oblivious to the obvious. I'm not saying that human beings are not oblivious to the obvious. We are most of the time because when we look at you know our our faces in the mirror, much like Warren Buffet every day, and tell ourselves our narcissistic selves that we are good, we are good, we are good, though we know that we are very bad, 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 bad. But but that is you know a social conditioning thing. What I meant by getting good suggestions from the most unexpected places, I can't think of a specific instance, but there have been numerous such occasions where I know that I have put it to work. Standard observations where, and they, and they typically tend to come from people who have absolutely nothing to do with what you're doing, but they essentially make this observation and then maybe somewhere in you have internalized it and you suddenly think, oh man, yeah, that is true. Maybe that is how we should do it. It could be, it's not necessarily that it will have a direct material impact. It could maybe be just a, a, a way, a track to get to a direct material impact. Interesting. So it's kind of like you watch, you watch how people react in your environment and uh, while you're traveling or things of that nature. And it kind of subconsciously goes into your mind and then you, you're not even thinking about it, but you're, some part of your mind just captures it and then processes it overnight. And then someday you feel like, yeah, this is something, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is something valuable, and we should do things like this. Somewhat, somewhat like that. Is that what you meant when you said, like, yeah? It's, it's uh, now, now that uh, I just suddenly remembered you were asking me the question. I think I mentioned this during our earlier conversation. I was telling about that million dollar question that was asked to me by the gentleman who I was trying to get to download Gifto, right? When he turned yeah. around and asked me, Sir, I buy every day, but I only gift once a month. Now, that was a realization that came from a person who had absolutely no vested interest, who had absolutely no material gain from, but that mm -hmm. observation is what essentially meant camp off. Wow. Super interesting. Yeah. The previous experience where I told you how we pivoted from B to C to B to B. Ramesh Ramanathan of Artem and Ventures essentially sitting over breakfast telling me, Ajit, I wanted to come back to me with a use case for a large industry like maybe insurance. <laughs> so those mm -hmm. are things that essentially get you to immediately start looking at it and they're not like i said they're not people who have necessarily a vested interest they are, the, the motives are 100 altruistic in many ways but the material impact of it is because we internalized that suggestion and essentially realized that there was value in it yeah yeah that's true again vested interest is the most is the most important bit of the advice because if a person is actually trying to help you and you kind of internalize that as soon as they say it so you kind of see it as true yeah this is this is actually true and they have no vested interest so let's apply it and see how that works out super interesting so wrapping up ajit last question which is again getting philosophical in nature but yeah my last question is how do you personally define success like is it money i don't think so but yeah is it fame legacy passion or something else i think it's a mixture of a lot of things Anuj. um how do you define success uh, personally you know, yeah. Personally, I mean, a day before yesterday, I was putting out a, 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 a picture of mine on WhatsApp and sending it to my friends saying that I have arrived 
because I just got interviewed by Pakistan television. And all I need wow. to do is to essentially be interviewed in North Korea, Afghanistan, and Iran for me to be world famous. <laughs> so, <laughs> does it mean I have arrived? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, no, Adoj, I mean, uh, there is no strict and uh, strong answer to that. It, it, does money drive me? Of course, money drives me. Much like any other human being, money is a driver. But is oh. that going to be the end goal of what I uh, seek from uh, my success as a human being? No, it is not. Uh, because what do I spend money on? I spend money on books. I spent, uh, you know, the other day, Maya, my wife was telling me, do you realize that our, our you know, monthly expenses, uh, we have no children. So it is just me and her and Prabhagar and our dog. So, you know, their monthly expenses is just uh, 40,000 rupees. So that's all, all we need. I mean, I don't think it's uh, uh, going to go up exponentially because if you give me 40,000 rupees and tomorrow you tell me to live with $4 million, I honestly wouldn't know what the hell to do with it. But is money important? Yes. Can that money be put to better use? Absolutely. 100%. I think uh, uh, my uh, uh, previous uh, employer, Trainji from Wipro, he has done a fantastic job of handing over close to 75% of his assets for uh, philanthropic uh, activities. Maybe that is what I will do. I would also like to try and, uh, you know, we talked about history and how history, uh, you know, is essentially being held to ransom by vested interests for the simple reason of perpetuating, um, uh, you know, a, a legacy that is not necessarily sustainable. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll take that money and put it into a, a historical research institute, which will essentially provide the truth to people. <laughs> so, you know, what is success to me? Success to me is the smile on my wife's face. Success to me is uh, Prabhagaran essentially, you know, when I step out for two minutes or come back after two years, Prabhagaran will come and uh, essentially lick me the same way. <laughs> so that is in many ways uh, uh, successful, right? Because he actually appreciates my company. Uh, success for me is when my mother looks at me and says, good job, Babu. Uh, Babu is what they call me at home. So, you know, that is success for me. So, yeah, I mean, success is at multiple levels. It's not necessarily about money. It is not necessarily about anything. It is small tangible, emotional responses from people. That to me is success. Super, super inspiring. There's a lot of wisdom in there. I mean, you, you've just explained the whole path of what an entrepreneur goes through, as you mentioned, like living below your expenses, but still continuing to enjoy the company of the people you're with and just working on something every day that you believe in. Ajit, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find out, learn more about you? Or is there anything you'd like them to check out in particular, any particular blog, your profile page or CamCom? I think you can go on to uh, camcom.ai. That's our website. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You'll find me on Facebook as well. I have a blog which I haven't written in a while. I used to be a uh, regular earlier. It's called rumination.me. Uh, some of my old writings are still there. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just a phone call away, as I tell people. Um, uh, my email ID is ajit.nayar. That is nayar at uh, ajith.nayar at uh, camcom.ai. So here you go. Here you go, guys. You've heard him. He is, Ajit is a super interesting person I've interviewed all this time and do reach out to him, his, his writings are amazing, I'll put all those links in the description below. Ajit, thank you for coming on the show it has been a pleasure, absolutely Thank you Anuj, my pleasure and to all the listeners, thank you very much I hope I haven't essentially bored you with my verbal diarrhea, but I look forward to hearing from you should in case you want to reach out. Not at all, thank you for coming on the show